welcome to uh, welcome to Tuesday, Tuesday, October sixth in the year two thousand and twenty. This is Bob Bro. This is the best old time radio, the podcast. And on Tuesdays we play a drama, and on Mondays we play a comedy. On Wednesdays we play a mystery. On Thursdays we play a western. We play an archive show. Usually a one-and-a-half to two-hour show on the weekends, but on Tuesday, which is today, which is what you care about, today we play a drama. Only today it's a Western drama, but that's okay, it's still a drama. The category fits. We are going to play an episode of Baker's Theater of Stars, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Remember, this is the one that started off as, I think it was Hollywood Radio Playhouse or Hollywood... Anyway, it had been on for a number of years with different sponsors, and then the Bakers of America, this industry group that represented all of the uh, commercial bakers in the country, took over this show, put a lot of money into it, and started promoting it like crazy. And then once they had a major convention, apparently they were using this as a publicity tool for their convention, they kind of just dropped the ball. And the thing disappeared in 1953, I believe it was. But what we have tonight's a good one. It's from 1953, uh, February the 28th, and it stars Robert Taylor. And the name of this, get this. Now, is this intriguing? The name of this story is The Mail Order Bride. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. uh, I think it's, in the Old West, I guess that was not that uncommon. The Mail Order Bride, and it features uh, Robert Taylor, it features Jeannie Bates, it features a young gal, a uh, young actress uh, who was very good in this, named Mary McGovern. It also has uh, Parley Bear as the narrator, John Daner, Harry Bartell, the usual cast of suspects, Lawrence Dopkin, Will Wright. It uh, was based on an original short story by a fellow named Van Court, and it was adapted for radio by John Meston, and it was produced and directed, this one tonight, by Norman MacDonald. So it's got all the best. This was uh, originally broadcast on CBS back on October, not October, February 28, 1953. So this is a good one. So that's what you have to look forward to in just a minute. So what I need you to do now is get comfortable, get cushed down in that uh, down in that big, comfy, swishy chair of yours, and get your feet up. Got to have your feet up, and make sure you have a little something to drink there. And don't think about anything. Just let the cares of the day drift away, okay? Because we are coming up right now with the Baker Theater of Stars, Mail Order Bride. Starring Robert Taylor. Welcome to the Baker's Theater of Stars. Today we present Mr. Robert Taylor in Van Court's story, Mail Order Bride. Brought to you by the Bakers of America who help you serve better meals through bakery foods. 
This is Wendell Niles inviting you to the Baker's Theater of Stars. A half hour of outstanding dramatic entertainment featuring Hollywood's greatest stars brought to you every Sunday at this time by the Bakers of America. Robert Taylor is appearing by arrangement with MGM, producers of Battle Circus, starring Humphrey Bogart and June Allison. And now, here is our star, Mr. Robert Taylor. When I first read the script for today's show, it made me think about a picture I made some time ago concerning a man in charge of a wagon train of women headed west. The women were to marry sight unseen a group of pioneer settlers. That was one way men and women got together. You see, in the early days, there weren't many women in that land, and men had little opportunity to meet and court their brides. But in one way or another, families were established and the west was settled. Our story today is the story of a man who arranged for a wife after the rough fashion of those days. Now it's a great pleasure to join with the Bakers of America in presenting Van Court's story, Mail Order Bride. This was the day. Lee Carey lay sleeping in the early morning sun that was reflected into his bedroom from the mesa behind the ranch house. Then he awoke sharply sat up with an angry effort and swung from the bed onto the rough plank floor. His hands trembled as he pulled on a pair of black whipcord pants. He washed, nervously shaved off a heavy growth of beard, and then buttoned on a gray silk shirt, the only dress shirt he owned. He dusted his boots with flour, pulled them on, and walked out into the kitchen. Old Jack's, his only hand, was frying eggs and pork. I'm fixing a man's breakfast this morning, Lee. Just coffee. Ah. You want me to come to town with you? No, thanks. I'll manage this by myself. It might be more proper-like if I come along. No, I'll go alone. Well, I'm wishing you luck. I might need it. Hey, Lee, I don't like having to say it, but Green's pushed a bunch of his cattle onto our land again. How do you know? I saw them this morning when I run the horses in. They're over in the west section up in the, the pass, and they're not being moved. They're grazing. Good grass up there. Yeah, sure is. But it's not for Green's cattle. I've told him before. <clears throat> well, it's it's going to take more than talk, Lee. I hate to start that kind of trouble. Uh, listen, Lee. Now, I know you ain't afraid of him, but Green don't know you ain't. You got to show him. Kill him? If it comes to that. I've killed men before, Jax. It didn't solve much. Well, then he'll get your land, Lee. He's got 300 head grazing on it right now. Another few months and he'll be ready to file claim to the whole west section. You just gonna sit back and give it to him? Going into town now, Jax. Buckboard ready? Your, your, your title ain't final to this place, Lee. Green could get it. I'll be back before dark, Jax. All right, Lee. But I wished you'd let me come with you. Green will be in town with Quill. Quill's just another hired gunman. I'm not worried. And Jax? Yeah? Don't you be. An hour later, Lee Carey crossed the last rise, and the town of Tanner's Creek lay before him, its sun-baked streets shimmering in the morning heat. Lee watered his team, then left the buckboard outside Tolson's store, and walked across the street to Rankin's saloon. 
Morning, Lee. Rye whiskey, Bert. You're a stranger in town, Lee. Jackson and I work a pretty big spread. Yeah, I know. What brings you here now? Leave the rye, Bert. It's thirsty weather. Help sell. Since you've got the rye bottle, Terry, I'll have to join you for a drink. Unless you think you'd mind. It's a public bar, Green. Yeah. By the way, Lee, you know Todd Quill here? We've seen each other around. Two more glasses, Bert, and I'll buy for all three. Yes, sir. I picked me up a real good working quartermare the other day, Lee. Has a nice way of going. I'm not interested. Concern me. Ah. And how's that? They're putting on too much weight. Off my grass. <laughs> well, now that just shows it's good grass. Shut up, Quill. I'll let you come on to my west section for water, Green. But from now on, you'll get your water somewhere else. Your title clear to that land, Lee? <laughs> Have your cattle out of there by tomorrow noon, Green. Now, maybe I don't shove quite that easy, Kerry. I'll move my stock when I feel like it. Or I'll stay. It's all the same to me. Tomorrow noon, Green. Yeah, you like the smell of black powder, mister? Something else, Green. Tell this slack-mouthed bum of yours to stay out of my sight. Why, you... Ah, now. Here, Green. Buy your boy another whiskey. Tell him not to hold it in his gun hand this time. Don't forget, Green, tomorrow noon. No later. Hello, Tolson. Oh, I've been expecting you, Lee. So you drive in. You get those packages for me? Yeah. Being merchant and justice of peace, too, that keep me busy, but it all came in on the stage from Wickenburg yesterday. It's right here. Good. I'll put it in the buckboard. Can I lend you a hand? No, thanks, Olsen. Uh, it's none of my business, but don't fight Green alone. He and Quill won't face you in the open. You'll get shot in the back. Four years ago, a man tried that. Yeah, I remember must be close to noon. The train's just passing four miles. Look, Tolson, I've got to get down to the depot. You can load this stuff for me after all. Why, surely. Thanks. You meeting the train? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, be, I'll be back shortly. Lee reached the depot just as a high-stacked engine snorted and clanged to a stop. Half a dozen men stiffly climbed down from the wooden day coach tipping their hats against the noonday glare of the sun. Then, followed by a smaller figure, a young woman stepped to the ground. She was pretty, prettier than Lee had ever imagined. She was tall, with delicate shoulders and warm blue eyes. She came up to Lee and looked at him shyly. Mr. Carey? Ma'am? I'm Joyce. Yes, ma'am. And this is Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen, say how do you do to Mr. Carey? Hello. Hello, child. Uh, come along, ma'am. We'll go to Tolson's. Most likely you'd like to freshen up after your journey. Well, that's very thoughtful. If you'll just show me your baggage, ma'am. Uh... Just those two pieces and that little one there. I'll bring the buckboard down later. We'll pick them up then. All right, Mr. Carey. Whatever's convenient for you. Shall we Go. Are we going to a hotel, Mommy? Tolson's. Is 
that the hotel, Mr. Carey? Mr. Tolson runs the stories also, Justice of the Peace. I left my buckboard there. What's that? It's a kind of a light wagon. Oh, will we ride in it? Mary Ellen always asks questions. But I want to know. Sometimes it's not polite, Mary Ellen. I know. This is uh, your first time in the West? My first time anywhere. Outside of Kansas City. Well, you'll find it different here. I hope you like it. I think I shall, Mr. Carey. Hi, Lee. Hi, Carey. That's funny. What is, Mary Ellen? Those men on the horses. All the men we've seen. They all have guns. You have a gun too, Mr. Carey. Yes, child. Well, this is Tolson's. Right in here, ma'am. Oh, uh, hello, Lee. I put the... Ma'am, this is Mr. Tolson. How do you do? I'm Joyce Kingston. This is Mary Ellen. Proud to know you, ma'am. Tolson, I thought they might clean up some. Would you... Uh... Oh, uh, sure, yes. Uh, right in back here, ladies. Mary Ellen, you go along with Mr. Tolson. I'll join you in a moment. All right, Mummy. Right this way, Mary Ellen. I'll get some fresh water for you. Mr. Carey. Yes? Mr. Carey, I've told Mary Ellen about everything. How it was arranged. The letters, the money for the train. What we're here for. I see. And she understands. You didn't say anything in the letters about a child. No. I, I take it you're a widow woman, then? Yes, I am a widow. I see. I'm ashamed to have deceived you. I, I didn't mean to, but I, I, I didn't dare mention Mary Ellen. I was afraid you, you wouldn't want us. Here, now, there, now. Please, ma'am, please. It's, it's just that, well, I didn't know quite what to expect. From a mail-order bride? Don't say that. That's what I am. Bought from an ad in a Kansas City newspaper. No, no, no. But I'll make it up to you. You won't have to marry me. I'm a good cook and a good housekeeper. Later, you can decide if you want me. That would be only fair. Ma'am, you and the child are surely welcome. I wouldn't want you to feel any other way, but... Well, my ranch is a long ways out. There'll be no other women folk around. It'd be more proper to be married. Mr. Carey, I, I wouldn't force it on you. Seems we kind of agreed on it, didn't we? It was a wife I wanted, not a cook. But you're not obliged. Maybe you don't want me. I... Yes, I think I do. Well, we got Mary Ellen all washed. And, Mummy, Mr. Tolson gave me some milk and cookies, too. That's very kind of Mr. Tolson. Tolson, I've got a job for you. Why, surely. Miss Kingston and I would like you to read the marrying service for us. Oh, Lee, you should have told us. We could have raised a fiesta or something. You see, I don't get many chances to marry people, ma'am, and certainly none so pretty as you. My mummy's the prettiest lady in the whole world. Yes, I believe you're right, child. And so Joyce Kingston and Lee Carey were married. The shadows were dying into deep dusk when they came out of Tolson's store and climbed into the buckboard. A small group of men crowded around and offered congratulations. Lee was proud and happy as he sat beside his wife, looking down at his friends. Mary Ellen was taken for granted, and she sat quietly staring into the purple hills beyond the town. 
And then it happened. The smart man who buys a cow and gets a calf in the bargain. <laughs> no, Lee, not now. Of all times, not now. Well, she's right, Lee. Maybe later, but not now. Nobody thinks you're afraid of green. Lee? We'll be going now, Tolson. Thank you kindly. And if anyone's curious to know, I'll be back in town tomorrow. of Mail Order Bride, starring Mr. Robert Taylor. Lee Carey was silent as he drove the buckboard out of Tanner's Creek and along the road to his ranch. In the moonlight, Joyce watched the sharp lines around his mouth and wondered what she could ever do to make up for the shame she had brought on this proud, vengeful man. It seemed hours later when they finally reached the ranch, had eaten the supper Jacks had waiting for them, and put Mary Ellen to bed. And soon after, Jacks went to his shack. Lee and Joyce sat stiffly in front of the flickering hearth. The house isn't finished yet. It's rough, but it'll be better. Of course. It's quite charming, Lee. The edge of the mesa is right behind us there. On a clear day, you can see nearly 50 miles. I'm sure... And you, you'll ride. I've got a whole string of ponies. You can have your pick. Oh, here, yeah, now, don't take on like that, please. Everything will be set to rights. No, I won't. That man's remark. I've shamed you, and you're too proud to forget it. You've done no such thing. What's between Green and me started a long time before today. Don't you think about it. I can't help feeling that it would be better if I hadn't come out here at all. I won't be responsible for killing Lee. You're not responsible for any of this. As for you and the child, I, I wouldn't have it any way but how it is. You say that out of pity. You've had a tough time of it, and I'm sorry, and I want to treat you right, but there's more than pity. Already there's more than that. Oh, Lee. Lee, I'm so tired and so scared. Joyce, I've strength enough for both of us. Tell me, Lee... Do you have strength enough not to kill that man, Green? I'll do what I have to do. You don't understand this country yet. I understand this much. If you go through with this because of me, it'll mean I really have shamed you. I couldn't live with you after that, Lee. <laughs> this, this talk's too serious for a wedding night. Come on, you're tired. You don't believe me. There's sheets up here in the closet. I'll make up the bed for you. Don't bother. All right, then I'll leave them on the couch. Thank you. Lee. Got to go out to the barn for a while. I'll be quiet when I come back. I wouldn't want to wake you. Good night. Good night, Lee. The next morning, just as the sun began to break on the mesa behind the ranch house, Lee Carey was standing over the coffee pot in the kitchen. He was alone. A gun belt made of yellow elk's hide hung around his narrow hips. The big black-handled cold in his holster was shiny from use. The coffee ready, he poured it, setting his cigarette on the edge of the kitchen table. 
He sat there drinking quietly. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Coffee? No, thank you. Lee, I want to talk with you. About what? About this thing with Green. It's not your concern. This is something between Green and me. When you left last night, I knew you didn't understand me. I lay awake waiting for you, but you didn't come back. And now looking at you, I don't believe I can make you understand. Joyce, there's no argument. This is something I've got to do. If you weren't ashamed of me, you wouldn't do it. I'll be back before sundown. And I'm not ashamed of you. But I'm going to kill Green. No, Lee, no. Jax will take care of anything you or Mary Ellen might want. Lee, if you leave this house now, if you go, I'll not be here when you get back. You don't understand these things. I'll be back. And you'll be here. On the chance that Green might have decided to avoid meeting him in town, Lee Carey spent an hour or two searching out the pass in the west section. He found nothing, and finally headed into Tanner's Creek, where he tied his horse behind Tolson's store. Then he walked quickly across the street to Rankin's saloon. He paused for a moment before entering, and then slamming the door open with his left hand, he took one quick step and was inside. But the place was empty, except for Bert who stood behind the long mahogany bar, polishing glasses and watching Lee closely. Morning, Bert. Lee? Where's your customers? Green hadn't been in. Quill, neither. Know where he is? This time you're really looking, ain't you? This time I'm really looking. All right, Lee. Hotel. Been there most an hour. Alone? Quills around. Thanks. Halfway through the town on the far side of the street was Tanner's Creek Hotel. In its bare, shabby parlor, a small group of men were gathered in a half circle around two people, a man and a woman. The man faced her, smiling, his hat pushed back on his head. The woman's face was dead white, her lips tight against her teeth. And she held a whip in her hand. He doesn't know I'm here. I told him I'd leave him if he killed you. But he went after you just the same. Why, ma'am, I can't tell you how I appreciate the trouble you've gone to. Just for me. <laughs> Scarcely for you, Mr. Green. <laughs> Anyways, ma'am, nobody's been hurt yet. The only reason you're not dead right now is that he hasn't found you yet. Now, listen. Mrs. Carey, or whatever you call yourself today... If Lee comes to town, he won't have any trouble finding me. If I was you, lady, I'd get out of here before the shooting starts. It'd be too bad if that little gal of yours is made an orphan. I'm getting out after Mr. Green and I settle something. Settle what, ma'am? Last night you passed a remark about me. Out in the street there. <laughs> Supposing that's right. Now what? Now you're going to apologize to me. Here and now. And if I don't, ma'am... Then I'll whip you out of town. You'll what? I'll whip you out of town. <laughs> I wouldn't advise it. I'd hate to hurt a woman. But I'd shoot that whip out of your hand so fast you'd have... <laughs> All right, now, you little hellcat, I'm gonna... Yes, please! Don't move, Quill. 
I'll kill the first man that does more than breathe. I'll take your gun, Quill. All right, Green, make your apology to Mrs. Carey. Make it! Apologize. So much for that. Now, Green, my bullet may have spoiled your gun, so I'm going to toss quills to you. I'll give you a fair chance. No, then I'm Lee, going no, no. I'll handle this my way, Joyce. Go on outside. All right, Lee, I've tried. I was leaving anyway. Mary Ellen is at the depot with Jax. There's a train out at noon. I'll be on it. I have no choice. Goodbye, Lee. All right, men, give us room. You there, Jameson. Keep an eye on Quill. Shoot him if he interferes. That I will, Lee. You can use my gun if you like. And stick Quill's gun in your belt. Here. And now, Green, don't get your tongue caught in your... Well, if you want, Terry, you won't get another one like that. All right, You can't take me. No, now, Quill, you want some? No, no. Then get out of town. Throw Green across the rump of the mule and take him with you. All right, we'll, we'll go. And remember this. I'll kill either or both of the minute I see you again, any time, any place. Now pick him up and leave. Take my gun now, Jameson. Here you are, Lee. Thanks. Good day, gentlemen. A few minutes later, Lee Carey stepped rapidly around the corner of the depot. The noon train was on the tracks, waiting. Halfway down, he saw her, alone and pacing slowly back and forth alongside one of the coaches. Then she turned and stopped, watching him, carefully, scarcely breathing. As he approached her, he removed his hat and held it at his side. Joyce, I didn't kill him. Oh, Lee. Lee, hold me. I should have, but when I knew I'd lose you... Don't talk about it, Lee. It's over now. Yes, it's over now. Kiss me, Lee. Kiss me. Go fetch my daughter. We're going home, Mrs. Carey. Now here is our star, Mr. Robert Taylor. Wendell, that lady's certainly right. A good breakfast does mean a good morning. But now I'd like to ask Mary McGovern, who was our Mary Ellen today, if she'd come to the mic for a moment. She stayed right here, Bob. <laughs> well, that's what I get for speaking before I look. Tell me, Mary, how old are you? I'm 11, going on 12, Mr. Taylor. Would you answer a couple of other questions for us? I'll try, Mr. Taylor. What are they? Can you tell me where the pilgrims landed and when? Plymouth Rock, 1620. Mm -hmm. And another one. When they elect a president down in Mexico, how long is he in for? Six years, and he can't be re-elected. 
But uh, where did you learn all this, Mary? Why, in school, of course, Mr. Niles. Where else? Where else, indeed. But do you realize that by 1956, there will be 7 million more children in elementary schools than there are now? The problem of additional teachers in classrooms demands that all of us join and work with our local civic groups and school boards. Remember, better schools build a stronger America. That's something all of us should remember. Thank you, Bob. Goodbye, everybody. This is Wendell Niles with an invitation to be with us again next Sunday for the Baker's Theater of Stars. Join us for another half hour of fine dramatic entertainment brought to you by the Bakers of America who help you serve better meals through bakery foods. Next week, the Bakers of America will bring you The Token by Joseph Hergesheimer. Our star, Mr. Dana Andrews. Today you have heard Mail Order Bride by Van Court, specially adapted for the Baker's Theater of Stars by John Meston, and starring Mr. Robert Taylor with Gene Bates. Featured in the cast with John Daner, Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Will Wright, and Mary McGovern. Narrator was Parley Bear. Music is by Wilbur Hatch, and our producer-director is Norman McDonald. This is Wendell Niles speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. What I want to know is what was with the bullwhip. Chester, do you have any idea why this woman was so good with a bullwhip? And why she would be willing to go in and face these two gunmen with just a bullwhip? You have no idea. Well, that that uh, script was based on it was it was adapted by um, John Meston, who of course went on to write all the Gunsmoke episodes or many of the Gunsmoke episodes, not all, maybe two thirds of them or at least half. But he did not write this original story. It was written by a writer by the name of Van Court. The only thing I can find about him is that there was a movie made in 1964 called Mail Order Bride, again, based on his story. It starred uh, Buddy Epson, Lois Nettleton, and Kier DeLay. But the story in that movie had nothing to do with the story. In, in this radio play. The story in the movie, according to IMDb, is uh, some fellow is trying to get hit. Well, let me see. It says, elderly Will Lane arranges the marriage of a wild son of a dead friend in order to try to tame him. Now, that has nothing to do with the story we just heard. But they were both based on this short story, Mail Order Bride, by Van Court. So there you go. The other thing I wonder about that one, Chester, is, is I wonder if, in the original story, if maybe her husband was killed, her original, her, her first husband, was killed in some kind of a gunfight, and that's why she was so, or maybe he was a gunfighter, and that's why she was so opposed to killing, which, I mean, you should be opposed to killing, obviously. But with her, it seemed like obsessively, uh, like she was anticipating it 
and didn't want anything to do with it, and I, I don't know. Just my thought. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Well, anyway, we should have uh, other episodes of Baker's Theater of Stars coming up. Uh, in fact, I listened to one the other day that was a pretty good comedy. And maybe we'll play that on a Monday sometime. That's going to wrap things up for Tuesday, October the 6th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. Hope you enjoyed our show today. I thought it was pretty good. It's nice to hear Robert Taylor again. You don't hear him much. He had a great voice. He really looked better when he was younger, didn't he? Of course, we all looked better when we were younger. But some men, according to my wife, age very well, thank you, and others don't. And I, I guess that's true for all of us. But uh, there were some stars that just even looked better as they got older. And uh, I wouldn't put Robert Taylor in that category, but he was a good, good actor. I shouldn't have said that. That was uh, unkind of me. Anyway, we will be back tomorrow with a mystery, a detective story or a mystery. I don't even know what it's going to be yet, so I'm going to surprise me too by uh, tuning in tomorrow and finding out what I'm going to play. Right, Chester? All right, that's it. Our show today was from 1953, and so I picked out a couple of songs from 1953. The first one is by Tommy Edwards, and the second one is by the Orioles, a doo-wop band, or not band, a doo-wop group, and uh, quartet, I think doo-wop quartet. You just picture the guy standing down there under the streetlight, right? On the corner, under the streetlight, late at night, singing the doo-wop, the acapella. Well, that's what the Orioles were, I guess. This one was from 1953, and Tommy Edwards was one of my, uh, really, I, a go-to singer in the 50s. I loved most of this stuff that Tommy Edwards did. Okay, that's it. I'm through. This is Bomb Bro. I am so glad you stopped by today, and I am so glad you met me.
Dios. Oh.